morning. Here we are. Uh, a bit of a journey for you guys. Uh, nine, ten months, is it, since Scav left? So it's been a while that kind of you've been uh, expecting this moment. Uh, and this has been a bit of a while uh, coming for me as well. And things haven't quite uh, gone exactly to plan for us uh, in, our, in our move to Adelaide. So um, all of our stuff is currently in storage because uh, we had naively thought that we would move to Adelaide, find a rental and be into it straight away and then be able to have all our stuff unpacked. Uh, things haven't quite turned out that way. Uh, God's got a way of kind of guiding and directing things and I might be able to share a bit of that story with you another time. Uh, but needless to say, uh, this week Laura was back in our old home packing things up and one of the things that I asked her to bring back with her was uh, a few button-up shirts, uh, otherwise I would have been speaking in just uh, a tea in my songs. Um, uh, I also bought some new shoes this week as well. Uh, so. So those are some of the things that, that I have been doing in, my, in anticipation of today. But I guess I've been thinking about this morning, uh, and I wonder if you have as well. And I, I, something in me was drawn to, or my mind went to, a scene from a movie. Uh, it's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'd like to show it to you. It is good, isn't it? <laughs> Did we delete the wrong one, Josh? <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> good start. <laughs> we, we tested it beforehand. <laughs> Many millions of years ago, a race of hyper-intelligent, pan-dimensional beings got so fed up with the constant bickering about the meaning of life that they commissioned two of their brightest and best to design and build a stupendous supercomputer to calculate the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Oh, deep thoughts. We want you to tell us the answer. The answer to what? The answer to life, the universe, everything. We'd really like an answer. Something simple. Hmm, you have to think about that. Return to this place in exactly seven and a half million years. Is it finished? I don't know, there's more. There's more. They go back. What, seven and a half million years later? That's right. They do. Yes, but you're not going to like it. It doesn't matter. We must know it. All right. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is... Forty-two. 
yes, I thought it over quite thoroughly. It is, it's 42. It would have been simpler, of course, to have known what the actual question was. But it was the question. The ultimate question. Of everything. That's not a question. Only when you know the question will you know what the answer means. Give us the ultimate question, then. I can't. But there is one who can. A computer that will calculate the ultimate question. A computer of such infinite complexity that life itself will form part of its operational matrix. And you yourselves shall take on new, more primitive forms and go down into the computer to navigate its 10 million year program. I shall design this computer for you and it shall be called... You haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, it's Earth. Um, I guess I was reminded of that scene because there was a bit of expectation. So seven and a half million years they'd waited to hear the answer. Uh, nine to ten months you've been waiting. Uh, and so I, I was drawn to that. Uh, I mean, I'm a little bit disappointed there weren't branded T-shirts here this morning. Uh, that's all right, though. I think I, think I, I, think I can look past that. Uh, but so for our, my first message to us as Glen Osmond Baptist Church, I've actually chosen uh, to speak on a passage uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and Jesus is speaking in the temple. It's from uh, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 12. Uh, let me read it to us. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they, everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, this passage captures, I think, my hopes for my time here at... Um, oh, I've gone too far there. Anyway, uh, my hopes here for my time at Glen Osmond Baptist Church. Uh, it kind of it captures a bit of... Um, my vision, my hope, and so I want to share that with us this morning. Uh, so, but to give a bit of context of what this passage is actually on about, I think is helpful before we can understand why it's really captured uh, my attention, uh, because it's part of uh, a speech that Jesus gives in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, in chapter 21 of Matthew, so two chapters earlier, in verse 23, it tells us that Jesus entered the temple and began teaching the people that gathered there uh, to hear him. Uh, then, the chapter after our passage today, 
in, uh, in chapter 24, verse 1, it tells us that Jesus left the temple. So I'm assuming that if in chapter 21, verse 23, he enters the temple, and chapter 24, verse 1, he leaves the temple, what we have in between is part of one block of his teaching to the people. Uh, and in this teaching, he is going to use the sights and the sounds around him. So he's in the temple, the centre of the Jewish expectation and hopes. He's got uh, the sacrifices, the altars for offering. He's got the priests, uh, the Pharisees. They're all gathered, right? All around him is all this sort of stuff going. He's going to use the sights and the sounds uh, of the temple to be able to help instruct the people. Uh, and as he goes through this block of teaching, uh, he is going to subtly and sometimes not so subtly undermine and condemn the current religious leaders. Uh, the passage in, that I've just read out from Matthew 23 is when Jesus really starts to ramp up his criticisms. Uh, so in verses 2 to 4, uh, Jesus says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Full on, when you consider that these people would have actually been within earshot of Jesus as he was saying these sorts of things. Uh, I read, read one commentator through the week that said, uh, really helpfully pointed out, that the true target of Jesus' whole discourse is not the Pharisees themselves, uh, but the crowds and the disciples who need to break free from this Pharisaical legalism that they are trying to force on the people. So he's criticizing them within their own earshot, but they're actually not the targets. He's actually not intending them to change. He's actually speaking to the people and saying, you're so caught up in following their, their rules and their regulations, we need to break free from them and actually have us honor God first and foremost. Uh, he continues in verses 5 to 7, everything they do is done for people to see. Uh, they make their phylacteries and the tassels of the garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. These teachers of this law, these Pharisees, they have made their role, which is supposed to be providing instruction, supposed to be helping others, supposed to be serving other people about themselves. They've made it about elevating themselves. And uh, the, the phylacteries are an interesting example of that. So these are little boxes that are actually supposed to be tied uh, around. So in that box, uh, you're going to have scripture. Scripture that's going to be put in that. You're going to bind it on your arms up at the top, and you're going to put it on your head. Uh, this was actually part of the law of Moses. Uh, I think it's in Deuteronomy is where uh, Moses actually instructs the people to be able to do this. Uh, and it's actually a beautiful command when you read it in its original context. Because in its original context, it's supposed to be about binding God's word to our heads and our hearts. 
So these things on their arms are close to their hearts. Everything that they do is supposed to be informed by God's word to them. It's actually quite actually a beautiful symbol for the people themselves. These Pharisees have now started making the boxes really large and impressive and actually making this thing, which was supposed to be about reminding themselves to live for God, about how important, how pious, how holy they are. Look how big my box is. Ridiculous, right? But that just is an example which shows us what these Pharisees were doing. And then the people are going, oh, my box isn't that big. Oh. Um, unfortunately, Pharisees like this are not limited to Jesus' time and his location. There are plenty of modern-day Pharisees, uh, pastors and preachers, who preach big and amass huge followings either at their church or online, while their personal lives don't reflect what they preach. Uh, I'm not sure if you follow too much of what's happening in the global church, but over the past five years, many mega church, mega church pastors' uh, personal sins have been exposed. Uh, sexual misconduct, bullying, uh, drug abuse, misogynistic comments, uh, and, their, and teaching. Um, it's damaging to the church. It's damaging to Jesus' church. These people are saying these things, but personally, they don't live it themselves. They haven't bound it to their heads and their hearts for themselves. They're Pharisees. Jesus continues in verses 8 to 10. Uh, he says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Uh, it uses the word brothers. The, the Greek word it uses for that is uh, adelphos, uh, which in the past would have been translated like brethren. brethren. Uh, that's a bit of an old-fashioned word, so we probably don't so much use that. Uh, the word uh, adelphos in Greek probably translates something along uh, son of the same mother, kinsman, uh, colleague, associate, or brother. And so in our English translation, we've kind of gone for the simplest uh, verse, which is brother. Um, the thought being captured is not so much about the fact that we're all boys, but actually that there's, we're equal in position and standing. All of us before God are equal in position and standing. Uh, so, but you are all brothers. Uh, and do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. My goal, my hope for my time here as the pastor of Glen Osman Baptist Church is to point us towards the true instructor. To point us towards... Jesus, to encourage us to deepen our love of the gospel. And as we do that, our desire to follow and live for God might be grown. I want to point you towards the true teacher, towards our good, good father, 
towards Jesus, our true spiritual guide, the Messiah himself. I don't want you to look at me and to lift me up. As I stand before you today, I'm actually very aware of my weaknesses. Uh, as I uh, am here, uh, you're, like, the reality is that over the time that I'm here, I'm sure you'll get to know some of these weaknesses yourselves personally, uh, something to look forward to. Uh, so let me just get uh, some of the things just off the bat straight away. Uh, I have a terrible sense of humour. Uh, dad jokes are the best. So anytime anyone says, uh, I'm hungry or I'm tired, without fail, I'll respond with, hello, hungry, I'm swanny. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a disease. I actually can't help it. It just naturally kind of flows out from me. Uh, I also laugh very loudly, like embarrassingly loudly. I personally am not embarrassed by it whatsoever, but every single member of my family has shushed me when I've been laughing uh, in a public place. Uh, also, having grown up in New South Wales uh, and done all my education and schooling and life there, uh, I'm going to pronounce some words differently. Uh, I'm going to say things like dance and France and advance, and shock horror, Lego. Oh. Yeah, yeah, so, and I also don't intend to change. Um, uh, do you know what? As my weaknesses are also not limited to slightly humorous antidotes. Uh, Organisation has not always been one of my strong points. It's not something uh, that is something that comes naturally to me, hence I'm buying shoes this week and I'm asking Laura to pick me up a shirt from New South Wales. Um, but, you know, in ministry, that actually can be a little bit of an issue. Uh, at my last church, there were a couple of times where there were meetings or ministries that were on, that were scheduled, that I was supposed to be at, and I just wasn't there. One time I was supposed to be at Scripture in the primary school, which is a commitment I had every week, and I just I forgot, uh, which isn't ideal. Uh, and often I, I get the phone call and being like, oh, we, we missed you today. Where were you? Oh, um, I forgot, uh, is what I honestly have to say. It isn't ideal, and it can have pretty profound pastoral implications. And I remember there was one moment, there was a, a lady at my last church, uh, and she'd been going through a pretty, pretty tough time. Uh, her sister had passed away from cancer a year or so ago, uh, and then one of their next-door neighbours had been diagnosed with pretty serious terminal cancer. Uh, I didn't quite know what to say or, or how to help, uh, so I didn't do anything. I did nothing. Um, and this lady was good enough to approach me a couple of weeks later and let me know that my response, uh, or lack of response, had actually been quite hurtful, uh, which was fair. Uh, and I've tried to learn from that moment. Uh, but I guess my point that I'm trying to illustrate is that I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect. And as much as I will try and learn and grow from my mistakes, I'm going to keep making them because I'm a human. And I'm sure there'll be times that I will dis disappoint you, 
there'll be times that I will let you down. I'm sure of this because I know that despite my love, my desire and my goal to love and serve uh, Glen Osmond Baptist Church, I'm still a sinner and I still mess up. One of the things that I've been rereading in preparation to come here and uh, accept the role is, uh, is a book that was quite formative for me uh, when I was a bit younger uh, during my Bible college years. It's by uh, a German uh, pastor called Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, and it's called Life Together. And, and in it, <laughs> uh, Bonhoeffer suggests that true Christian community begins when we become disillusioned with community around anything apart from Christ. As I've been reading through this, I've, I've actually been searching for a comment that I thought that I'd read in Bonhoeffer's life together. And the comment that I'd been searching for, I haven't yet to come across it, so perhaps it's, it's my own personal thought. Uh, you can maybe quote me on this later. Um, but for me, I, I think that part of the disillusionment with community that's not based on Christ, needs to be a disillusionment with any earthly leader. If you're trying to install any earthly leader on a pedestal, it's not going to lead, it's not going to go well. It's going to lead to disappointment and dissatisfaction. Uh, you will be disappointed. Uh, Bonhoeffer rightly notes that true Christian community is based solely on what Jesus has done for us and must be centered on and around the Word of God. So often Christian communities are not based on and around the Word of God, but on gathering with people who are like us, who we get on with, who are interested in the same things, who are in a similar stage of life to us. Bonhoeffer describes this sort of community as a wish dream, connecting with people who we get on with and are like and similar stage of life and that being the source of our community is a wish dream that actually gets in the way of true Christian community which is based on what Jesus has done for each of us, which crosses ages, it crosses stages of life, it crosses interests. The one thing that binds us together, the one thing that brings us together as his church is what he has done for each of us. That's what makes us a community. If we uphold anything else as what brings us together, that will distract and we will need to become disillusioned with that because there'll be times when that won't meet our needs when that won't work for us. And if we've made that what we cling on to, we will be disappointed. The church is, a people for, is, is supposed to be for people of all ages and all stages to gather together and be reminded of God's goodness, revealed to us in His Scriptures. Uh, to finish... Um, I want to just focus on a quote that you may have heard before. I'm not sure if we've got it, Josh. I've, I think I've lost where we're up to. It's kind of one of my last slides. Uh, it was by somebody uh, wrote under the name Abigail Van Buren. Uh, it was actually Pauline Phillips, but she wrote under this name uh, in uh, a newspaper in the States as, a, as an article, uh, kind of like a, 
what do you call those things where she kind of would have things to say about things called Dear Abby. People could write in and Abby would respond. Uh, and it's a quote that you may have heard before. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That as we gather together, it actually should be a place where we come to be able to hear from God. To be able to be reminded and turn our view back to who he is and what he has done for us. The implication of this quote is that we should not be surprised that as we gather together that people's lives are messy. Come on in, guys. The church should be a place where we can come for help, where we can come for healing and for treatment for what ails us. Uh, the question that strikes me as I think about this quote is, if church is a hospital for sinners, who's the doctor? I wonder, I wonder how you would answer that. Who's the doctor? It's Jesus. Jesus is the doctor. It's not me. I'm a patient. I'm just like you. I need healing and treatment for my sins, just like you. I'm a patient who knows and wants you to know how good the doctor is. I want you to know and I want to encourage you to go to the doctor, to listen to the doctor, to follow what the doctor says because the doctor is good and he loves us and he knows what's best for us. I want to encourage us to be a community that is based solely on what Jesus has done for us and is centered on and around God's word for us. That's my hope. That's my goal. As I come in, as I take the role of lead pastor here at Glen Osmond Baptist Church, that is what I intend to do, to point us towards Jesus, the doctor, the one who can actually bring us help and healing. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, you're all equal. And you do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I want to pray that as we come and we gather as your people, each week here in this building, as Glen Osmond Baptist Church, that you'll help us to turn our attention, our gaze, our affections, everything towards you, that you will be the head of this church, that you will be the one who guides and directs, who leads you will be who we come to hear from, who we come to gather around and have community in and through your scriptures. Help that to be what is the center of who we are as your people here. Amen.